Welcome to the Jockey Club, a podcast looking at the movie Let It Ride, one scene at a time. My name is Dan Delgado, and we're at historic Hylia Park where one man is having the best day of his life. I'm having a good day. So come on in and hang out while we talk about this day and the greatest movie of all time, Let It Ride. Don't worry about that guy at the door. I've got you covered. You can even take my seat to the Jockey Club. Welcome back to the Jockey Club. My name is Dan Delgado. We are up to episode 16, which means that we are doing, yes, the 16th scene of Let It Ride. And really, it's the 16th scene according to me. This is the scene where Trotter is mistaken for a pickpocket named Morgan and winds up in racetrack jail. Back again to discuss this scene is James David Patrick. James is not just a man with three names and a huge fan of Let It Ride, but he is also the host of the Cinema Shame podcast and the writer of the official Netflix DVD blog. There is a link to the Cinema Shame podcast in the show description. And I also want to mention up front that we now have merch. Yes, indeed. If you cannot live without a Jockey Club t-shirt or mug, we now have you covered. Again, there is a link in the show description for you to get one. And if you don't know where the show description is, it is right there on your podcast player. Just go to where it describes what the episode is about, and you should see the links there. Now you can go ahead and get yourself a t-shirt or six. And if you're playing along at home, this is going to be from minute 4146 to about 4407. All right, everybody. Now let's head on up to my usual table at the Jockey Club to discuss the 16th and, yes, quite possibly the most important scene of Let It Ride. Let's get down to business, James. We are talking about the quote-unquote, quite possibly the 16th scene of Let It Ride. 16th, Obviously the most important scene. Yeah. If nothing else, it it very well may, may be the wackiest scene of the film. It is wacky, but I also I'm also gonna go bold today. Oh, I like this. All right, I'm gonna go bold. I'm gonna I'm gonna cite some really popular sources, and I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that this may be the most important, not popular. Crossing the streams, most important scene in the movie for establishing what this movie wants to say. Oh wow, wow! We are going out. We are going bold here. This is the I most mean, important th- scene in the movie. Th- this is my fifth appearance, yeah. and I've got to take it up a notch. And I mm-hmm. think that requires a bold statement. That's true. I, you know, I've been checking with the higher ups, and they said this is a make or break episode for you. So you, you better bring the heat. And it sounds like you're sober. <laughs> it sounds like you're ready for it. Okay. So when we begin this scene, we see Reardon and another nameless security guard, and they're looking for Morgan. And all right, I got a question for you, James, right away. Right. Okay, so right away you see them, they grab a guy. He says, Hey, what I do, what I do. Is this Lauren Dreyfus? <laughs> I thought that today too when I was rewatching the scene. Okay. He is grandstand person. 
This person does have a line, which would make sense as to why he's credited. I think it is. I think it has to be, because that's the joke. When yes! I, I, I watched this scene three times when I was doing my notes, and the second time, it registered, because they grab a guy who looks like their description. Right. And then they grab the guy they really think is the guy in the description, which is, of course, Richard Dreyfus. So it would then make sense for the seven or eight people that... <laughs> that know who Lauren Dreyfus is. <laughs> that recognized him. <laughs> now, I, I, can't, I can't prove this in any way. Like, I didn't, you know, you, nothing about the movie says where he is. I know. Grandstand look, person. Sure. It, it could be anyone. Right, grandstand person. It could be anybody. Yes. And it does look like him. It does. When you think about him in the the two canon films, Dutch Treat and Detective School Dropouts, mm-hmm. he does have, mm, let's just say, more hair and right. darker hair. And it's only a couple of year difference. So here he's bald on top and it's gray. So that's that's the one thing that makes me go, hmm. Although if you look at him now, if you've ever if you've seen him in the last ten years or so, you can see that's exactly how he looks. He is uh, bald on top and, and gray on the sides. So the thing that actually perhaps called my attention to this particular moment even more was say it with me, let's go to the screenplay. Ah, yes, let's go. That interaction isn't in the text. That feels like something that was added in. In the screenplay, it goes from, can I get you anything, flowers, when he's talking to Vicky. Mm -hmm. And he heads out, and then it's like a smash cut to handcuffs. Like, he's already in the handcuffs. Oh, wow. That interaction with the other arbitrary that looks like a Morgan doesn't happen here. Well, so this well, feels well. like something that was added in as like, let's do a funny for us. Right. Yeah. You know what? I think you're absolutely right. I wonder if Lauren was just happened to be visiting that day and they were like, oh, you know what? Let's let's put him in for a second. This would be fun. Yeah. yeah. That makes perfect sense. All right. So I'm going with we've now settled the where is Lauren Dreyfus question that has only been looming in my mind, I think. I don't think anyone else has been worried about this, but I've been looking well, every scene. And, and it, it, it came up. It came up in a prior episode, which only further reinforces my yes. suggestion that this episode is the yeah. most important episode, the must-listen episode, if you will. If you wanted to spin it that way for your teaser, you, you're really building a case here, James. If you only listen to one episode, <laughs> which you've used, but it, you can you can supersede it. You can you just roll it right back over again because I'm pretty sure that they that they that didn't stop them on network TV either. Well, you know, if you would look at it like this, you would look at it as though if you're only going to listen to one episode from this point, right? So, like when I have said it, maybe in the past, we hadn't recorded this one yet. So, right. so now maybe this one is just superseding all all previous. If you can, if you should listen to only mm-hmm. one episode, claims. Okay, so but we do go right from Lauren Dreyfus to Trotter being handcuffed. You won't be picking any more pockets. Now we know what he's being arrested for. And Trotter starts yelling out, all right, oh, that's right. You have the right to remain silent. What does Trotter say to that? I want the right to let that Lord Byron. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so they start to, they they bust him 
right by that, that hallway where the ticket seller is. And as they're dragging him away, Trotter, for a moment, he's, hey, look, here's my friend Vibes. And he right, Vibes is there. And- yeah. Pleads with him. Vibes, tell them who I am. And... And it's another zero to 100 Dreyfus moment. And it goes immediately to, I'll kill you! Yes, yes, as Vibes does not help him. But here's the interesting thing is how in this situation where you see your friend Trotter, and, and forget the fact that, you know, maybe you're annoyed at him because he had the nerve and the gall to win, right? Right. But here, he's being hauled away. He's being <laughs> hauled away by the cops. It's well, by the security everybody. cops, just, but still. It, you know, I'm sure Vibes has been there. Looney's been there. They've all been there. This yeah. is just another another day at the track. I, I'm sure they're probably looking at it like, eh, he'll get out. What's the big he'll deal? He'll get out. It, what's, he's not Morgan. It doesn't matter. Yeah, but you know that if if you were at the track with, with somebody you knew and they were being dragged away, you'd take it a lot more seriously. Vibes is just depends like, on, nah, screw you. Depends on the guy. Depends on the guy. All right. So, yes, I'll kill you. I can't mm. believe you. I can't believe you did this to me. Which does make it sound like, I don't know, as though there was a setup involved. Like, just the way he yells that. He didn't do this to him. Vibes did not make him Morgan. All right. No. So now we're going to be going into the whatever the holding area is, whatever the track jail is. Very important moment. Not really. But... Where Trotter <laughs> exclaims that I am not Morgan, goddammit. Do I look like a Morgan? <laughs> yes. But Reardon, upon hearing this, says, swearing in public is illegal. <laughs> which mm-hmm. <laughs> which right. tells you something very significant about Reardon. It also helps set up a joke later on or a moment later on in the movie. But I went ahead and I started to wonder, is swearing in public illegal? in the state of Florida, where this movie takes place. Did you consult the text? I did consult the text, as a matter of fact. And apparently, despite... I'm going to just officially read something here. Despite the broad wording of the statute, a conviction generally cannot stand where the accused merely creates an annoyance, uses profanity, causes a crowd to gather, or displays a belligerent attitude. So, no, not really. Not really illegal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, apparently in some states it is. I think Virginia would be the example, although it's not enforced. In case you're wondering about that. You went, you went, you went deep on this. Somebody had to find what out. Idaho, what, what does Idaho say? <laughs> Idaho says, more potatoes. Fuck it. They just say fuck it. That's what they say? All right. They say talk to the militias. That's what they say. Yeah. So Trotter is also, by when, when they start digging into what they're going to do with him, he becomes very concerned for, uh, for all his yelling and screaming. The one thing that I love is how he changes when it's, you're not going to call my wife, are you? You're right, right. He's asking for his telephone number, his address. He's asking for his home address or something. So, you're not going to call my wife, are you? Yeah, yeah. It's like, like, it's like you're not going to tell my mom, are you? I'm not going to, I don't need to get busted here, do I? Okay. So here's the moment. Here's the moment, James, where this movie becomes, for a moment, something else. Trotter gets up. The music tells us. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All of a sudden, the music gets ultra wacky, and Trotter yeah. jumps up, makes a run for it, and crashes through the door. Like, he literally just runs straight through the door, as though yeah. it was made of paper. This is uh, He Hulk smashes it or something. He yeah. just, I mean, with his hands cuffed behind his back. He lowers his shoulder 
And like any good linebacker, plows right through the door. What are the odds that, I don't know, five foot four Richard Dreyfus could <laughs> actually crash through a door like this? Like how many times of a hundred is he going to do it? Probably not. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. All right. I'm like, going to guess by by time five, he's probably giving up. But, you know, sure. He has a hundred chances to do it. <laughs> so you need to give him a break in between, though, because that's going to start. There. Yes, exactly right. He could have as many breaks. You know what? He can try it three times a day for however many days that is. You know, 33 right. days if he wants. However he wants to spread it out. But it's a hundred times. How many times does he break through the door? He doesn't break through the door. No, he does not break through that. No, he does not break that. I mean, that door in yeah. particular is a different story. But any other door. Yeah, any any actual real door. Any door that's not that in a one, movie. That one was made of, it wasn't, if there's a wood that's less sturdy than cardboard, that was it. That's the one. Yeah, sure. <laughs> it is really funny, though. I will say that. it is like because it, it's unexpected. I mean, that's what, what we're talking about—the change of tone—and and it yeah. does drop into the loony comedy for a hot minute there. When we get the, it's almost a Mickey Mouse sort of looping score, and he busts through the door, and the the busting through the door is the unexpected moment that we that we get here. That that. Give us a little chuckle. I mean, I can see why another human that's not me watching this movie would just would would sort of yeah, give it an eye roll. Like, oh, that's sort silly, of silly thing yeah. to have happen here. But it's not without precedent in this movie. There have been moments of this sillier levity that that pop up now and then. I, I don't think it should come as a huge surprise that this tone comes back. I mean, we've had mystical diner women and mm -hmm. like the, the, it's broken all the rules so far. I mean, why shouldn't we keep going back to that tone? And I in, enjoy this moment because it gets silly again. And because we're allowed to think, well, anything can happen. At this point. I mean, it, once, once you go with spiritual compulsion, yeah, you know, right. everything's right around the corner. Everything else goes with it, I think. Yeah, I, it is funny. I do wonder how people other than myself and you and the people I know who really dig this movie, uh, how, how they view this. Is this something where they go, ah, all right, this is just stupid. I don't know. But I, I love it because it's so ultra wacky and it does feel like it comes completely out of left field, which it does. And then, you know, he's running through the grandstand and we get, all right, now, that's Dreyfus's mom who says it must be a commercial. Is that do I have that right? Uh, as I I did not verify, okay. uh, but that makes sense. I believe I, also, I have read this. I, I'll go with that. Okay. I also like. No, I did verify again that this was a particular note in the script because watching it, I'm, I was like, that feels like another moment that Pitka tossed in as like an inside joke for the crew. They're like, oh, it must be. They must be shooting a commercial. <laughs> I thought that too, and it totally felt like a commercial type vibe. But yeah, and I did find that funny, knowing Pitka, yeah, and knowing the way he. I, I feel like he had a sense of humor about this whole thing. There's some things that he did, script to screen, that suggests he was amused by the material in a certain way and put his own spin on it. Just a little bit in terms of the humor that was here. And 
the the intro to this scene it feels like sort of a collaborative effort they seemed i can only project so much but they seem like they're having fun making this film oh my god absolutely do you feel that this scene is maybe too much of a deviation from its source material or does this fit in with the tone of good vibes Ooh, I mean, I wouldn't picture it in like it doesn't feel like good vibes. It feels yeah. like let it ride. And, and there is a there is certainly a distinction between how I read the book and how I saw them. Sure. Absolutely. Of course. All right. So we also get our, our other look at at Quinella at Mary Warner. War- boy, oh boy. Warnoff. Warnoff. I'm just going to I'm not going to say her name. Run it, unless you're around. Run it together. Warnoff. Warnoff. Warn there you go. There you go. That's yeah. it. OK, thank you very much. <laughs> Runs past her. She has one other line. Why are you handcuffed? We're going to run to the ticket seller. <laughs> this is a, this. I honestly I think this just looks so great. The way this is shot as he is running. You see a body dive in front of him and he jumps over and he slides and starts feverishly trying to take the shoes off only to. Just miss it, right? He's, as soon as he puts the, for, he's got the, the shoe in his mouth and the ticket seller closes the window. And now here comes, here comes the uh, security guard. And, and you know, the, and also you see Looney is the person who tripped him up, right? Yes. And the dive, he, which is so Looney Tunes. Oh, it's very Looney Tunes, right? Yeah. But when Looney stands up, to like you know like the reveal that this is the person who who tripped him up who's caused him to miss this bet right which i don't know if he would have made it anyway he still has to kick off the shoes and bend down and pick them up with the it mouth it seemed put like them. it was happening at that it point really I mean, it really doesn't the, the amount of time like if he had had the money out yes but exactly shoe, right shoe to teller was too much of a transition to make there in the three or four seconds that he had absolutely that was that was pushing all right but when looney gets up the look on his face is like that of, like, it's pure evil that he's looking. Like, the hatred that he has in this moment, right? He, like just, in She-Devil when Roseanne Barr's eyes start flaming up. Wow, we're bringing She-Devil in there. But I, don't okay. know, I don't know why I thought of that movie in that particular moment. But well, Hey, you know what? 1989. It's, it's all it's all good, right? Just throw it all together, true. baby. <laughs> it is 1989. <laughs> But yeah, you know what? That's actually not a terrible comparison because you might as well have just like sort of animated just, you know, red eyes on him or something because he looks and David Johansson seems like the kind of guy who could be evil. Like like the look that he has, if, if he was playing someone evil, you could go with that. You could say like, yeah, all right, that makes sense. I mean, that's been part of his persona, you know, the kind of edge that he's walking on. You don't know whether he's good or bad or mm-hmm. just play naughty like you you just don't know which side he's gonna fall on that day and then immediately Looney starts yelling he did it not not even knowing what he did right he did it <laughs> well i get, it almost gets the impression that he's the one that said that he was a guy looking like dreyfus was picking pockets oh wow you think so like he made the call i i don't know if that's suggested but i was watching it today i was I could feel maybe that's what the movie was suggesting. Okay, I could I could see that. Like that's why that's interesting. Dreyfus was Morgan. He just made up the name Morgan, so he wouldn't actually get in too much trouble. But he'd get arrested, and he would learn his lesson about screwing over his friends by winning all that darn money. 
<laughs> All right. So then Reardon and his partner close in. And, and now we see uh, Trotter's getting, he's bound and gagged on uh, to a chair, like impressively bound and gagged, I should say. And yeah. <laughs> while Reardon is, is calling to check on his identity, which, by the way, we learned that Trotter lives at uh, 2232 and a half Flamingo Lane. <laughs> and there is no Flamingo Lane in the Miami area, but there That's is shame. one in Fort Lauderdale. And while there is no mm-hmm. 2232, it's like 24. Like, it's, like the block is, is the 2400 block. So mm-hmm. it could be close. Trotter could yeah. have lived in Fort Lauderdale and driven down to Hialeah. That's, you know, it's believable. Anyway, but really, here's the main thing. Here's what, what really happens. Here's where I think, James, you're going to start, you're going to start, you know, explaining yourself here. <laughs> what we've learned is that through all of this nonsense, right? Through the handcuffing and him running around, running through doors, all of this has ended up costing him to miss betting on Lord Byron. Mm-hmm. And we hear in the background, while Rudin is learning about Flamingo Lane, that Lord Byron has bumped another horse, lost... It's a shocking the- incident of bumping. The- it's a shocking incident... Lord Byron has lost the rider. And oh, that was a shocking incident of bumping. <laughs> <laughs> so the bet he would have made lost. But not only right. that. Not only that. And I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts because I know you have some because you mm. promised some at the beginning of the show. Promised thoughts. Yeah. But Lord Byron has lost to a horse named Splendid Reason. James, what, reason. Mm-hmm. what's going on here? Can you explain this to me, please? Okay. Yes. So we're going to go back to Latin. Oh, okay. That's a language I don't know. Well, <laughs> so that's perfect. <laughs> okay. So we've talked a little bit about in past episodes whether this is fate. Yes. Is he fated to win big at the track today? Mm-hmm. But there's this other question. Like, is he... So it's the, it's the difference between fate and destiny. Okay. It's an important distinction to make. There's some overlap there. But if you look at what's happening in this scene, we have the intervention mm-hmm. that stops him from placing a bet, despite all of his efforts to do so. Yeah. He was handcuffed. That wasn't enough. He makes a mad dash to make the bet, and he's tripped up just before he reaches the window. Destiny, I think the best way to explain it without getting too terribly boring, is that destiny is a fork in the road and you have decisions. Okay. Destiny is influenced by choice. Your choices lead you towards your destiny, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever that choice may be. Fate is a straight line. Fate, there are no branches. You are walking that straight line to your demise. That is your fate. You can't do anything about it. There's nothing you can do to stop fate. You can change your destiny. Okay. Based on the decisions you make. Okay. Early on, we have examples of both. And I'm thinking specifically destiny. He makes a choice to return the tape to the trainer. Oh, okay. And his paths open up for him again when he makes that choice to bring it back to his trainer. 
because oh. he's then given the tip on the next race because he's done at this point. Yeah. Once he sets that in motion, he's on a new faded path because nothing he does here is going to allow him to make that bet. Wow. That's right. No matter all of the choices that he makes, he makes this choice to make this bet, to bet on the favorite. He makes this choice to <laughs> to break out of the the track jail and yep. burst through to doors. Bust and through that door. I mean, this that is door. Yeah. superhuman desire to make the bet on Lord Byron. And and that still does not does not work. Does, it doesn't work. So fate in Latin is fat, fatum fatum. I can't. It's been too long, but it means that which has been spoken. Okay. He's not going to make this bet. He's not going to be allowed. Mm. Okay. It, it, when I was pondering this today and trying to to figure out how how to approach this from from an outside angle, I kept going back to the argument of fate versus destiny, Romeo and Juliet, and how those two are intertwined, and the differences in the arguments between are they fated to die or is it their destiny to die at the end of Romeo and Juliet? And there's a mixture of both, but that's the opposite example. Though I, I if I'm remembering my many, many semesters of Shakespeare correctly, it has to do with their repeated choices and the decisions that they make. You could say that the author of the material has a hand in that because, again, we're dealing with artifice, so the author is pulling the strings, but we have to deal with character choices in order to look at the material. Of course. And, and in, in that context, the characters make repeatedly make decisions that put them on this path to double suicide. And so here we have Trotter has made several decisions to put him on the path of, of winning money, but at the same time, fate in is this also moment, going to intervene. And it's like this scene, this, this scene is where we can read that fate is now at play and he is fated to win. So he is fated to win for the rest of the day. He is fated to win. That this is the new. This is the new path. Oh wow! Okay. Oh, all right. So you are making some some bold claims here, and I like it though. I I totally go well, with uh, it. You you can see yeah. the different ways that the movie is playing with fate and destiny. If you go back and look from here, because this is the first time I was looking at it. So you know what he there's. The entire world is stopping him from making this bet. Yes. His friends are stopping him from making his bet. The yes. police are making this stopping from making this bet. Mm-hmm. You know, that they didn't arrest his brother is stopping him from making like there's there's all these things happening. Yes. So but why? Like <laughs> any of those things that don't happen, he makes the bet, he loses everything, movie's over, and he loses his wife, his whole life goes to hell again because he lost all the money. All right. I like this. This sounds very good. I mean, honestly, what do you make of, of the names? Lord Byron and Splendid Reason. What have you got there? You got anything for me? I mean, Splendid Reason sounds like it's a good reason that you lost. It's a good reason Lord Byron did not win. It's a good reason that you did not bet in this race. Well, like you said in the, in the other episode, too, Lord Byron was unlike the other names. And it is reinforcing the posturing that was happening in in the jockey club and it was not how he got there he wasn't successful to this point because he was pretending to be something he wasn't he was Mm -hmm. being himself yes 
yes. up until this point. So when he goes to bet Lord Byron, he's not. He's not acting according to the ways he had to begin this movie. He made he makes the first bet because he's himself. He's like, why would I not bet in a sure thing? You bet on a sure thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and it's at this moment, and even though we are kind of leading into the next scene, but, I, you know, perfectly, there's no rules here. We do what we want. That's right. I always think of Trotter, like, noticing this and, like, weirder and weirder. I didn't lose. Right? I like, he's, lose. he is aware of something else. Something weird is going on here on this day. He is aware of the spiritual compulsion or the destiny or the fate or maybe there's uh, maybe maybe it's all three. Maybe that's the whole triumvirate. Spiritual of, compulsion of, is the is the part that we didn't discuss in in Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, well, really, you need to maybe go back and explain a few things to those people. I, I think I still have my professor's email address. I'll have to go back and, and see what she thinks about spiritual compulsion. Let's see if we can work that into the curriculum. <laughs> you, you think if we put that on a T-shirt, it would it would sell? You think that's a catchphrase we we should get going? Should I start using a hashtag? Spiritual compulsion. I'm, uh, well, I'll I'm make that T-shirt. Doing it. We'll, we'll, I'll make the spiritual compulsion shirt. We'll just put it on and see what you know. We'll I, find them on the streets in, in every American town, and by what next Tuesday? I like it. I, I, I mean, I feel like that's a that's something a vibe that that people can really get behind. If, it just, do, it doesn't even have to do with "let it ride." Just the phrase, just those two words together. It's a universal concept. Exactly right. Exactly right. About everything and nothing at all. Well, we're at the end of this scene. Do you get anything else that we should be thinking about here, James? Thinking about. Mm-hmm. We should be pondering here as before we go back into the jockey club and go back to all of our our new friends up there. No, I don't. I don't think so. The only thing that I had marked that I found very entertaining was the screenplay use of shocking incident of bumping because (laughs) it's funny in the film when Dreyfus repeats it. Yes. Because you hear it, you hear the track (laughs) announcer say, oh, that's a shocking incident of bumping. Lord Byron has lost the jockey, lost the rider. I can't remember exactly the the thing he says. Lost the rider. Lost the rider. And then in the Scene description of the next jockey club scene. Trotter and the four cops are watching the replay of the third race in the comfort of Trotter's box. On the screen, Lord Byron is losing his jockey in a shocking incident of bumping. <laughs> and then the next the next line in the screenplay is Trotter. Oh, what? That's what a shocking incident of bumping. Oh, okay. I like that. That's funny, though. So it, it's, it's it's funny in screen and it, there's a little joke in in the screenplay in this in the description in the screenplay for anyone reading it which I thought was fantastic. Yeah, that's nice. I like that. All right. The, the repetition of a shocking incident of bumping. I think that's just <laughs> another t-shirt right there. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Jockey Club. This episode was hosted and produced by me, Dan Delgado. Thank you to my guest, James David Patrick. Look for James's podcast, Cinema Shame, wherever you got this podcast from. And yes, as I stated at the beginning, there is a link to it in the show description. You can also find a link in the show description to get yourself some Jockey Club merch as well. Our theme music is from Epidemic Sound. Our cover art is by Sean Labrie. 
And if you enjoyed this episode, and I certainly hope that you enjoyed this episode, then you can help out the show by buying me a coffee. It's essentially like leaving a tip. This is really a thing, and there is a link, again, in the show description on how to do it. But if you're saving up all your pennies because you've got a hot tip coming up this weekend, I understand. You can still support the show by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you may be listening to this. And maybe you're not listening to this on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, but you have those apps anyway. You can still go over there and leave a five-star review, and it costs you nothing. And in the end, what it does is it fills my heart with joy. You can contact me through email. It's dan at moviemaker.com. I am constantly on Twitter at underscore Dan underscore Delgado. Or even better, you can find me hanging around the Repod app, which is a great way to not only listen to podcasts, but to interact with podcast hosts like me. Find it in your app store. Come on by and say hello. This has been Dan Delgado for The Jockey Club. And remember, sometimes you could be walking around lucky and not even know it. <laughs>